0: I would like to start this this message at the shores of the Red Sea. This controversial body of water has been at the center of a story that has stirred up drama for thousands of years. For those of us who are of the Judeo-Christian faith, this Middle Eastern body of water is the location of one of the greatest demonstrations of God's power over the elements of nature. However, the same body of water is also the location of one of the greatest stories in the history of the world, according to the skeptics. Here at the Red Sea, let me set up the story for you. History tells that at one time the nation of Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world, had, taken, had been taken captive. The people of God had been taken captive and made themselves uh, slaves for free labor. But God spoke to a man named Abraham, and he told him that he would be the father of a great nation. So God spoke to Abraham and said to him that his children will grow into a mighty nation. They will be enslaved in a foreign country for 430 years, and then after that, God will bring them out with a mighty hand. And through a series of events, in the lineage of Abraham's, his children, forced by a famine, eventually ended up in a suburb of Egypt called Goshen. And Goshen, a few hundred of them left, and eventually left, and eventually multiplied into thousands, reaching a population of two million people. The Pharaoh of Egypt became nervous about the size of the Jewish community, and he enslaved them to enrich. Egypt's economy to the building of the projects. For hundreds of years, the people of God were enslaved in Egypt, crying out for deliverance. And it wasn't until God raised a man; his name was Moses, a man with a great with great insecurity insecurities. God used him to deliver His people. God used Moses to confront the most powerful nation in the world at that time, and with just a rod in his hand. So Moses walked into the political court and demanded the release of the Jewish slaves, which had not been heard for over 400 years. And even though Pharaoh refused, God showed his power through 10 plagues that overthrew the economy of Egypt and humbled the Pharaoh's heart and the last plague to the life of the firstborn of all of Egypt. So there's a Pharaoh holding in his arm his firstborn child, and he is broken because of the death, the death of his child and his frust- and frustration and anger. He says to Moses, take these people and go. And after 430 years of Egyptian, Egyptian slavery, and one night, because of the power of a mighty God, the Bible tells that the husband gather the family, wives gather their children, and on one night, God brings out two million people and sets them free. Two million people on one night, He sets them free. The Bible tells that they go supernaturally, but a cloud formation leads them by day, and through the night of the fire formation, He leads them. He leads them right there to the shores of the Red Sea. And there on the shores of the Red Sea, there is some two million people who had just come out of a slavery. They had just come out of a slavery in Egypt behind them. A life they cannot go back to. There is nothing to go back there for them. But in front of them there is a future they cannot claim. Because there is a barrier and obstacle to their future. And for us, and for some of us, we are stuck there. You see, some of us have given our life to Jesus. Yes, you come to church every Sunday, and yet you feel stuck. And rather than looking forward, you look back and begin to dwell on the former things. So perhaps you have not claimed your future. You haven't been able to step into the, your future because there is a barrier and because you keep looking back at what it was. So sitting up in a palace is the insecure Pharaoh growing angrier and hard-hearted to God who says to himself, I cannot believe I've let these people go. And so he gathered his chariots, his soldiers, and he makes a decision to follow them. He says to himself, I'm going to pursue this Jew to bring them back to Egypt to make them slaves again. And so he sets out on a journey to reach them at the shores of the Red Sea. And now these two million people standing there on the shores of the Red Sea, he sees them in the dust, they see the dust and the formation, but it's not God this time, it's the army of Egypt. They can feel underneath their feet the rumbling on the ground, on the grounds of, of chariots and horses and soldiers. And now, in this moment, I can only imagine if I was there. I'm staring at my husband and my children, and I'm worried because I know he can't protect us, and I know that I can't protect them. I can't get them out of the situation, I can't deliver them from the circumstance. And the people realized that there is no way, there is no way for them to get, to get out of this. They can't go back because of the army, and they can't move forward because of the sea in front of them. And they began to cry out in despair. They began to cry out, and some of them began to even, begin to doubt, and began to say to Moses, it would have been better if you had just left us there to die. Why did you bring us here? what have you done to us and i believe that some of us today that as soon as we face that as soon as we face a challenge as soon as we face our first valley the first cross we're starting to stand in the kingdom we begin to say that the kingdom is too hard we'll rather go back to the life of saying where it's so much easier but as soon as we are challenged where there first was some difficulty for the Lord, we think to ourselves that we'd rather go back to the world where we had it easier. And we say, let me go back to the place where I was uncovered by the blood of the Jesus. And so now they are trying to go back. The Bible tells us in Exodus 14 that Moses stands on the edge of, at the edge of the seashore. He stretches out his rod and he says to his people, stand still. He says, Stand still. Stand still. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid and see the salvation of the Lord. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid and watch the Lord rescue you today. For the army you see coming behind you now, you will never see them again. And the Bible tells us that He stretches out their road. He used what he had in his hand and he uses what God gave him. You see, it doesn't matter what, what it is that God gives you to use. It doesn't matter how small it is. But once it gets into the hands of God, it becomes a powerful tool for God. Amen? And so he stretches out what God gives him. And the Bible tells us tells, tells that God sends a mighty wind that begins to blow on the surface of the Red Sea. And as they take the first step of faith, as they place the first step in the water, the wind pushes up on the surface of the Red Sea so hard until it began, the water began to pile up on the right and it begins to pile up on the left side. And God makes a way. And God makes a way for them. And God looks down on the army coming after his children. He takes, back the, he takes back the wind that belongs to him and the water. And it was, they was piled up. And then on one side and on the other side, and he began to pour down on the Egyptian army. And the scriptures say that he, they were buried in the depths of the sea. And God delivered his people from their bondages. And God delivered his people from their bondages. And God delivered his people It was this tremendous historic event of deliverance that God will use as a backdrop to speak these powerful words to his people during the days of the prophet Isaiah. And the word he speaks to you now for those who are listening this morning, the prophet Isaiah is writing to a people perhaps that are not as close to God as they think they are. The prophet Isaiah is writing to a people drifting from God. The prophet Isaiah is writing to a people who are suffering hardship and exile, separating from their homeland, seeking deliverance again. Are you seeking deliverance again? Isaiah reminds them that through the words of God, he says to them, you belong to me. The prophet Isaiah reminds them through the words of God. In verse 1, it says, I have created you. Do not be afraid, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you walk through the waters, I will be with you. When you walk through the water, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, when you walk through the fire of depression, when you walk through the fire of desperation, you will not burn for I am with you, says the Lord. I am the Lord. I am your deliverer. And then in Isaiah verse 14, this is so powerful. He says, Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sakes I will send an army against Babylon, forcing the Babylonians to flee. God is delivering his people again. So he says, For your sakes, not for the not, not even for my sake, he says, but for your sake that you will know that I sent an army against Babylon and bring them down. God reminds them that through the prophet Isaiah that I am the redeemer. The word redeemer means the one who has the right to buy back something that belongs to him. Our redeemer is one that delivers people from bondages. Our Redeemer is one who makes a way where there is no way. Our Redeemer is one who pulls people out of things they cannot get themselves out on their own. Our Redeemer is one who saves. Our Redeemer is one who sets you free. And I believe this word is for us as a church this morning. This morning, God may be speaking to some of you in this room in a similar way God was speaking to his people. I don't know who he's talking to this morning, but I know that there's so many of you that God is speaking to you. And I hear the Spirit of God saying, it's about to change. Your circumstance is about to change. Your season is about to change. Oh, that he's going to bring hope. And he wants you to, rem- to be reminded that God is a faithful God and he is consistent. A God that can bring a season of hardship to an end, to change a difficult season to one he delivers. This is for somebody in this room today, like God was telling his people, the circumstance you're in right now is going to give way to a new reality. I know that you're in exile right now but it's going to give way to a new reality. I know what you're dealing with right now. I know there's it's hard. My son and my daughter give way because today is the day I'm going to give way to a new reality in your life. Are you ready to receive their church? And then he says to them, after he tells them what he's about to do, I'm about to crush the people that, have ba- that had you bound in Babylon. Verse 15, he says, I am the Lord, I am your Holy One, because I belong to you, the Creator of Israel, your King. He says, I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. God makes it clear to them that you belong to me because you belong to me. You are never without help. It doesn't matter what you're going through, you are never without help. Marriage can be in trouble. Job could could have shut down. Business could be in Rocky. But God is saying that because I'm yours, I am your Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. He's saying to them, and He's saying to you right now, it doesn't matter what you're going through because you are never without help. If you belong to the Lord, you are never helpless. And so he says to them, I am your holy one, I am your creator, I am your king. He says, I am the Lord. There is nothing that I cannot change. There is nothing that I cannot do. I have complete control, dominion, and power. And so he says, I am the Lord, I am the one who reigns. He says, I am your holy one. I am the one that who introduced you myself to you and told you the ways to flourish in your life. He says, I am your creator. their job that just didn't just emerge out of nothing. I am the one that made it all happen for you. I am the one that formed you, I'm the one that made you a nation. You see church, sometimes we forget that a powerful, the powerful God brought us into the kingdom. We cannot forget the fact that our salvation was orchestrated. By our creator, not something that we achieved on our own. He says, I am your king. I am your prince of peace. I am all that you need me to be. He's been walking with you. Somebody needs to hear that he's been walking with you. He's been walking in front of you. He's been walking behind you. He's been walking all around you. And all the time you thought that he wasn't with you and verse 16 the lord says the lord proclaims that he is the one who creates a way through the sea and a path in the mighty waters and how he delivered them by parting the ocean in verse 17 he says our cool force the mighty army of egypt with all the chariots and horses I drew them beneath the waves and they drowned. They are extinguished once like a wig. He says, I am the one who drowned an army in the sea. Their horses are there to remind you. Their bones are there to remind you. Their chariot wheels are there. It's a reminder to you that I did it all for you. They will never get out of the bottom of the ocean. I am the Lord that makes the way even though an ocean for you. So God addresses his people. His people are trembling down in a circumstance they cannot get themselves out of, on, their, on their own. So despite the feeling of hopelessness and without assistance, he reminds them of what he did to the opposing army. Then he speaks to them about the challenge that they are currently facing, which they cannot overcome alone. So He, by recalling the exodus and the deliverance of the Red Sea, he directs their attention not solely to the events, to themselves, to the defeated armor. Instead, he begins to say, he begins to reveal his character. He begins to he reveal his power. He begins to reveal his love and his unwavering dependability. He reminds them of his faithfulness in the past to revive their faith. And by recalling their own unfaithfulness, but he encouraged them to trust that he will act on their behalf. Once again, he will act on their behalf one more time. And so he tells them that he was the one who sent the army to chase them. Why? Are you telling me that God actually engineers drama at times in our life? For what reason? You see, church, I've come to understand that at times, God allows things to unravel in our lives leading us along the path that we will not willingly choose. So maybe the Lord is saying to us this morning, I have something better for you over there, but you're just so comfortable over here. I know you're not going to move, so I'm going to have to shipwreck this whole thing around your life to push you to something better over there. And I know it doesn't look It doesn't look good. I know it doesn't look better to you because of the things that you are thinking about, about the Egypt and the wilderness on the other side. Things don't look that pretty, but you don't even know the promised land that I have waiting for you on the other side. He's saying to you, since you don't have the courage to move, I'm just going to let this whole thing fall apart right here, right now to push you to what I have for you over there. How can I go to arrange a table for you if there is no one on the other side to witness your meal? And I'm talking about Psalm 23 where he says, i prepare a meal in the presence of your enemy. He doesn't want you to eat alone. He wants you to feast in the presence of your enemy. And he has to bring them something to the table to get the proximity of your life, not to hurt you, but so that God could get all the glory and your circumstance. How could God allow this to happen? You're probably asking. He says, I'm using the setback as a stepping stone to push you to something better. God told his people, I'm the one that I sent the army. I made them come after you. I allowed them to be the circumstance where you almost saw you had no hope. God can move in the way we think is the final hour to come through for you. In verse 18, he says, remember not the former things. Remember not the former things. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of all. Wait a second. Wait a second. God, you just took all this time to the prophet Isaiah, who are in Babylon, to remind us of the Exodus, and now you're telling us to forget the things you just reminded us of? Am I reading this right, people? Am I reading this right, church? Am I hearing this right? You went through all of these things to introduce what you have to tell us by reminding us of the greatest deliverance you ever did for our people. And now you tell me not to remember the things of the past. Isn't it the last thing people want to hear? Verse 18, he says, but forget all that. He says, forget all that, but forget all that, because there's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. Forget all that, because there's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. For I'm about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a path through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. I will make a path. I will create rivers and the wasteland. What will keep me from perceiving what God is doing? What will keep us from perceiving what God is doing? Maybe it's expecting it to look just like what he used to do, what he did in the past. So here I am looking for God to part the the red sea again because that's what he did last time. Can I have the band to come up please? You see, sometimes the greatest barrier to what God is doing and what He used to do, as I say, this time God is going to make a way. As I say, He is going to make a way for you, but He's going to make it a way through the waters. Sorry, He's not going to make it through the waters again, but He's going to make a way in the wilderness. So stop looking behind you. Stop looking behind. Don't expect the victory and the past victory to sustain you. Don't, don't allow the past failures to paralyze you. We are encouraged not to look at the rear mirror, although there is time and place to recall the past events, to clean in the wisdom, but we don't stay there. Don't expect the past victory to sustain your church. The past is a great place to learn from, but it's a terrible place to live in. And some of us, and some of us are hanging on to baggage, unresolved issues, failures and even negativity for far too long. Learn from them. Learn from them and let them go. If we live in the past, if we live in the past, we will never embrace the future that God has for us. For I'm about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? For I'm about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. This is the word of the Lord for the church today. This is the word of the Lord for you today. For I'm about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a path through the wilderness. And I will create rivers in the dry, in the dry wasteland. God is wanting to do something new in your life. God wants to bring a new revelation. God wants to bring a new touch, deliver you from limitations and circumstances, bring you into a new season. God has redeemed you. God has redeemed us. He is our Savior. He says, I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I am making a path in the wilderness. I am refreshing you with the streams of living waters. And the day said that as you walk in obedience to me, you are constantly walking away from what it was and walking towards what will be. You see, that which once was a barrier has become a blessing. The very thing that's threatened to destroy is now being used by God to bring forth something extraordinary in your life, declares the Lord. I am your creator, I am your king, I am your God, I am the way maker, I have the power to turn obstacles into opportunities, I have the power to dry ground, to from dry grounds into sustenance, pain into strength, shame into grace, I am the way maker, the servant of your worship, the servant of the praise, get ready church for God is doing Something new. God has do something remarkable thing in your life and the life of inspired church. Come on, stand to your feet this morning.